Well, good morning. It's great to be back with you this Sunday. I, my wife and I had a, a, a week off, and uh, Michael ably filled the pulpit as uh, last week as he always, de- always does, but it's great to be back um, uh, today. Two days ago, on Friday, uh, Tana, my wife, and I were greatly privileged to attend Billy Graham's funeral in Charlotte, actually with, with many of you here. Uh, it is not an understatement to say that the ceremony was something very special. As is typical of most funerals, Dr. Graham was appropriately remembered and celebrated with facts like he preached the gospel to more people in person than anyone in history. I looked it up, something around 215 million people with millions of professions of faith. I, I have heard his message of the gospel and, and frankly, he got it right. Not, not that I am in any way his judge. I simply mean he clearly preached sin and the need of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. The cross of Christ was central to his message, his singular message through 80 years of gospel ministry. Big deal was made both in the ceremony at the U.S. Capitol building, the Rotunda, as uh, He was uh, laying in state there, and then at the funeral, that Dr. Graham was faithful. That word was used over and over. He was a faithful servant of Jesus Christ, and he accomplished his lifelong ministry, listen, scandal-free, scandal-free, which is saying something in a world in which, in the world in which we live, when evangelical leaders fall left and right into blatant sin and immorality. Dr. Graham did not. He was not perfect, but he was faithful. His message and his character remained consistently the same. Dare I say that he was one of God's most faithful, if I can use the word, spiritually successful uh, servant in all of church history. That is not an overstatement. There have been many such faithful servants, giants of the faith through Scripture and in the history of the church. And yet I do not think it inappropriate to include Dr. Graham's name alongside such great servants as Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, Daniel, Peter, James, John, Paul, Athanasius, Augustine, Luther, Calvin, Knox, Wesley, Whitfield, Edwards. I'll stop there because if I start naming Current people, most of them were at the funeral, by the way, and I don't name your favorite, you'll be irritated. However, one of my favorites will be here next service, Reverend Sammy Dagger. There have been many faithful servants of God throughout history, people God has used to advance His kingdom and His church. But notice, I keep using the word servant. Oh, It is true, as we found in our study of Hebrews chapter 2, that God's purpose in sending Jesus was was to bring many sons and daughters to glory. It is true, as followers of Jesus, that we become incredibly brothers and sisters, such that Jesus is not ashamed to call us as such, and we become incredibly children of God. And, And we rejoice in that truth. But to be clear, we are still servants. And, and, and frankly, Jesus alone is the only begotten Son of God. 
This was also made clear at the funeral. Yes, Billy Graham, he was a great man, one of the greatest. But all glory redounds to his Lord, Jesus Christ. It's very clear. And so, we would not list Dr. Graham's name alongside Jesus. That would be a mistake. Nor would he want us to. Nor would we name Abraham or Moses or David or, or the others alongside Jesus. This is the author's point as we arrive this morning at the next major section of Hebrews in chapter 3. Look at it with me, Hebrews 3, beginning in verse 1, we'll look at the first six verses. Therefore, holy, I'll say brothers and sisters, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy, that is Jesus, has been counted worthy of much more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Now, as you know well by now, the original readers of this letter were Jewish believers who were facing opposition persecution because of their new faith. We will find that they had faced the seizure of their property, imprisonment, and soon martyrdom. It seems that this new Christian faith was, was going to be a bit challenging. And by the way, I will point out, it's interesting to note that the author nowhere says, hey, just hang in there. There will come a time when, Christian, when the Christian faith will be more acceptable. In fact, there will come a time when you will be respected, healthy, wealthy, prosperous. You will live a problem-free, health-filled, prosperity-filled life. In fact, you can live your best life now. No, rather, he reminds them that it will be worth it to suffer as they look forward to a heavenly city whose builder and architect is God. You see, we have a heavenly calling. This world is not our home, and it will oppose us. He nowhere promises deliverance from the problems of this life. Rather, he promises a great high priest who suffered as will we. A great high priest who understands and will walk with us in the midst of, uh, uh, of our sorrows and pains and, and challenges and the trials of life. This great high priest was faithful, and he is therefore worthy of our fixed attention and devotion to, to the very end of life, just as Billy Graham stayed focused till the end of his life. Did, did you know that he was still doing full crusades at the age of 87, you feeling like it's time to retire from your service to Christ? Did, did you know that he was 95 when My Hope with Billy Graham aired across North America? He serves as one of the great heroes of the faith. And we, in a sense, follow him as he followed Christ. Because, you see, there is one who is infinitely greater, one over the house of God, that is the church, and his name is Jesus. 
Now, now, by the way, as we are magnifying Jesus today, let me tell you about two young girls in our church who understand the centrality of Jesus to our corporate gatherings on Sunday. You see, every Sunday, Esther Job and Ava Curtis come running up to me at the end of the third service, each carrying one of these connection cards. Yes, they draw on the connection cards and don't turn them in, but we'll let them do this. Please notice the tally marks. You see, they report to me every Sunday as to the number of times that I say God, Jesus, or Holy Spirit. As I understand it, they do not keep track of the pronouns. But typically, our great triune God is mentioned between 100 and 150 times. These young ladies are focused, you see, on the right person, and I trust that it will stay that way. In fact, if it ever is not that way, if it drops down to 20 or 30, you have my permission to fire me. You don't even have to give me the last paycheck. If you would, however, give it to my wife. Let me give you the outline of the text. Consider Jesus. It means to keep your eyes focused on Him. Yes, there are great heroes of the faith. We're going to look at a great list of them in chapter 11, but we merely glance at them. But in chapter 12, we are told to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's frankly what we're going to do this morning. Why? Because Jesus is superior to everyone even Moses. That's going to be the majority of our, of our sermon this morning. There's going to be a little application at the beginning, a little application at the end, but I just got to tell you, we're going to magnify Jesus today. So, by application, remain faithful to Jesus to the very end of your life. And don't think 86 is enough time for you, it's time for you to check out. As I suggested a moment ago, this is the second major section of Hebrews. The readers were questioning their faith, considering quitting and returning to Judaism. So the author started his letter with these very great words, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, that is, the Jewish fathers, in the prophets, in many portions, in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, Then he spent the rest of chapters 1 and 2 demonstrating that the Son is greater than angels. As such, implicitly, he and the new covenant that he brought is superior to the old covenant, the one that they were thinking about returning to. The the old covenant, you see, was mediated by angels. The new covenant brought by Jesus. Therefore, don't quit. Don't return to Judaism. To you, I would say who are struggling perhaps in in life, who have become a Christian and you found that it's not easy being a believer, that that, that your your troubles just seem to magnify. I would say do not return to your old way of life. It is empty. It is ultimately meaningless. There's no hope to be found there. Stay faithful. He began chapter 2 with these words, for this reason, that is since Jesus is infinitely greater than the angels, we must Pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. It never gets old. Don't don't let it become commonplace. Do not let it become, do not become flippant about the gospel and its glorious truth. Because how will we escape? And the idea there is judgment. How will we escape judgment if we neglect so great a salvation? And the answer is we won't. We, We won't. Don't neglect it. This great salvation Jesus brought when he became a man, incarnation, 
made for a little while lower than the angels, so that he might again bring many sons and daughters to glory. Don't neglect that glorious salvation. He accomplished it by destroying death and the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. He came to bring us hope. He didn't come to bring angels hope, but to us, descendants of Abraham, those who have become descendants by faith in Jesus. And as such, he becomes our merciful and faithful high priest. Chapter 3, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, talking to you, partakers of a heavenly calling, let that sink in just a moment. These are words meant to awaken us and to encourage us. He's just told us we have a great high priest who was tempted in his sufferings so that he can Come to the aid of those who are tempted in our sufferings. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, yes, I know it's challenging. Yes, I know you may be tempted to quit. I know your suffering is great. Yes, I know that you're wondering if this whole Christian life thing is worth it. I I know that life is hard. I know that it even got harder when you became a Christian. Is it worth it? Yes, it is. Holy Brothers and sisters, words again are meant to encourage us, first by reminding us we are holy, sanctified by the one who sanctifies. That that is by Jesus. That's right from chapter 2, verse 11. Such that the author can call us right now, he, he can call us who know Jesus, he can call us holy. The word could be translated saints, you. Think of that. I'm St. Andrews. I think they had to let me play there for free. That's golf. In church history, the, the, the church unfortunately designated only a few very special people as saints. No doubt it would be St. Billy Graham. But the truth is, every follower of Jesus is holy. Every follower of Jesus right now is a saint. Even if your spouse doesn't act like it sometimes. Even if you don't. You may not feel like it right now. You may have had a tough week, a tough month. If you're honest, maybe a tough year. You may have found that your sinful, you have found your sinful failures overwhelming your less than perfect faithful walk. Maybe overwhelming your spiritual victories. And you're wondering. I want to say to you, you are holy made so by the finished work of the incarnated Son of God. You are holy brothers and sisters. And maybe, just maybe, I'm suggesting it is time to start living like it. By the Holy Spirit who lives in you, maybe it is time to today plant a flag in the ground and say, by His presence and power, presence and power of the Holy Spirit, I will live a holy life. I will live up to my calling. After all, you are right now a partaker, a participant in a holy calling. Your call to holiness, your call to Christ-likeness is ultimately a heavenward call. It is both from heaven and to heaven to which we are going. Your eternal home is a heavenly country, he will tell us in chapter 11. There is a sense in which we do not belong here. It may be that it's time to wake up and understand that. You have a heavenly calling 
Maybe you need to stop focusing on stuff around you. That old song, you, you're, you're, uh, how, how's it go? Uh, some people are so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. It's just nonsense. You cannot be heavenly minded enough. Maybe it is time to get your eyes off of your circumstances and off uh, uh, your surroundings and, and get them focused on heaven. You are right now a partaker of and to be looking forward to something much greater, not of this earth, heavenly. Again, you may not feel like it. You may feel beaten down. You may feel tempted to quit in the midst of your sufferings. Don't do it. Holy brothers and sisters, partakers of a glorious heavenly calling in Christ Jesus. Don't do it. Instead, consider Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus contemplate, consider, think about Jesus. Three tally marks, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He is the apostle. He is the high priest of our confession. Only place in the New Testament that he is called the apostle. As well, this author alone calls him our high priest. I want you to think about those two distinct roles. One is directed, I'm going to suggest, toward us from God, and one is directed to God from us, but they go through the same person. He is the apostle. He is an, he, he is an, an apostle, excuse me, is a messenger. He is the one who came from heaven, John tells us over and over, sent by the Father to earth with a message of God's love and forgiveness and redemption. In fact, he affected our redemption through his finished work. Further, he is a great high priest, the one who represents us to God. You see, there is only one mediator between God and man. That's the man, Christ Jesus. So you consider Jesus. Think about him. Why? Well, to whom else are you going to turn? You're going to go back to your old way of life? You're going to go back to Judaism? You're going to go to another world religion? No hope there. There's only one. His name is Jesus, the high priest an apostle of our confession. Brings us to our second point. Again, considering going back to the old covenant, mediated by angels, brought, if you will, by Moses, the great lawgiver. After all, we call it the law of Moses. Listen, as much as Billy Graham is appropriately revered in our world today, no one was more revered in Judaism to this day than Moses. As a baby, he was hidden by his parents before being placed in a basket in the Nile River, only to be discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. He was then raised in Pharaoh's house, actually cared for by his own biological mother. But when the time came, he chose rather to to identify with his own people, the Israelites, and therefore he was forced to flee. And after fleeing Pharaoh, he was a shepherd in in the wilderness of Midian for, for 40 years until one day God appeared to him in a burning bush and called him to go back to Egypt and deliver God's people, two million of them suffering cruel bondage through 10 plagues. God demonstrated his superiority over the Egyptians and their false gods through his servant Moses. Moses then led the Israelites out after the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn. He led them through the the Red Sea as the 
Egyptian army pursuing them was drowned in the midst of the same sea. He led them to Mount Sinai where he received from God himself, written by the finger of God, the law of God, the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone. He received instruction for the construction of the tabernacle where they would meet with God to offer sacrifices when they would inevitably break that law. He led them through 40 years of wilderness wanderings, preparing them with the law again in Deuteronomy, second giving of the law before handing off the reins to Joshua. There is no greater person in Judaism than Moses, highly and appropriately revered. Notice the author does not demean Moses. He should not. He was faithful. God himself said so in Numbers chapter 12. Aaron and Miriam, his brother and sister, were jealous of Moses and his popularity. But but, but God said of his servant Moses, he is faithful in all my household. This is the reference the author alludes to in Hebrews chapter 3. Now look at verse 2. He, that is Jesus, was faithful to him who appointed him. Now, Now how had Jesus been appointed by God? Well, to come to earth, to take on human flesh, and to bear the sins of his people, making propitiation for their sins. This was God's plan, you see, carried out by the Son and applied today by the Spirit. He was faithful to his Father who appointed him, just as Moses also was in all his house. That's the reference. Moses was faithful. He is to be appropriately revered and honored. He carried out the responsibilities God gave him in his house, that that is among his people. But notice, Jesus is worthy of much more honor, infinitely more honor than even Moses for two very important reasons. First, Moses was faithful in the house, but God was the builder of the house. Look at the verses three and four. For he, that is Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Why? By just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things, well, that's God. Notice first, the implication is that Moses is in the house. Actually, we're going to see part of the house since it's referring to the people of God. But the builder of the house, well, that's God. Again, the house is simply a metaphor, and God's house in the Old Testament was the nation of Israel. We know that they were not a people. When they were not a people, that God called Abraham, made them a people. Isaiah 43 is full of this truth, but verse 1 says, But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. The text goes on over and over through chapter 43 to say, God created Israel, it's his people, and they were his possession. His people, his house. And Moses was a faithful member in the house, worthy of glory, but not the same glory as the builder of the house. The author already told us in chapter one that God was the builder of all things. He reminds us here, but he tells us in chapter one that Jesus was the agent of creation. That is, God made all things through his son. And so the author's point is, as great as the nation of Israel uh, was and, and perhaps is and God's, uh, as God's house, its glory pales in comparison to the builder who is Jesus. You can't compare them. You, you can't use them in the same sentence. Second, Jesus is worthy of more glory than even Moses because Moses was faithful in the house as a servant, but Jesus was faithful over the house as a son. 
Look at verse 5 with me again. Now, Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken of later. Now, stop right there just a minute. Even that statement points to the superiority of Christ. Yes, Moses is, is due appropriate glory because he was faithful in the Old Testament house, in the people of God, the nation of Israel. But what does this for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later mean? Uh, simply Jesus. Jesus himself said in John chapter 5, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. When Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, he was writing about Jesus. The author's going to make a big deal about that in chapters 8 to 10. The Old Covenant, with all of its practices, were simply types or shadows of the real thing to come in Jesus. They were types of Christ, shadows of the reality in Christ. Yes, Moses gave the law, but people couldn't keep the law. Even Moses couldn't, but the law was perfectly fulfilled in Christ. Yes, Moses gave the instructions for the tabernacle and oversaw its construction, but it was merely a shadow, a, 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 a dim shadow of the new covenant to come. All of the sacrifices offered in the tabernacle and later the temple were simply pointing to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ to come. That's what it means when it says, speaking of things later to come. It's talking about Jesus. Talk more about that when we get to those chapters. Let me remind you, as followers of Jesus, we have been made his brothers and sisters, children of God, by that ultimate sacrifice of Christ on his cross. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, we can know the joy of sins forgiven and reconciliation to God. We can actually become the New Testament house of God, the New Testament people of God through Christ. It's called the church. I'll come back to that. So yes, Moses was faithful in the house, and that was glorious. But look at verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house. Do you see what is intended to be the infinite difference between the house and the builder, the servant and the son? Yes, Moses, and I'll even say Dr. Graham, and a host of other faithful servants are worthy of glory for their faithful service to God. But Jesus is worthy of infinite glory. Not only did he build the house, he is the son, the one and only son over the house. Please notice, please notice, as members of both houses, both Moses and Dr. Graham, and every person in history, no matter how great or how small, needed the work of Christ to be part of the house. Every servant needed the sacrifices of the old covenant, which pointed to Christ. Every servant needed the sacrifice of the new covenant found in Christ. You see what I'm saying? Every servant, in order to be a servant in the house, needs the work of Christ. He's infinitely greater. He's built us. Just as the Israelites were the Old Testament house built by God under the provisions of the Old Covenant, so also the church, the church, and I just want you to know I could preach an entire message here. The church is the New Testament house built by God under the provisions of the New Covenant. Look at the rest of verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over the house whose house we are. That's unbelievable. As followers of Jesus, we are the house God is building. It is called the church. 
in a world today where people like to say, I'm spiritual, I'm just not religious, we know what they mean. And they don't get it. When people say, I like Jesus, I just don't like the church, I don't like organized religion, they just don't get it. You cannot love Jesus and not love the church of which you are a part. Our society is way too ruggedly individualistic. It is not, I want to say this firmly, gently but firmly, it is not just you and Jesus. If it is just you and Jesus, you've got a problem. It is you as part of the people of God, the church, and Jesus. We need each other. We need the church. We are together the house of God. You cannot be a follower of Christ. John says in 1 John, you cannot say I love Jesus, but I, but I, but I don't love the brothers. John says if you say that, you are not a believer. I know that there are a lot of people out there who say, I, I love Jesus, I just can't stand the church and so I don't go. You don't get it. You don't, you don't have the luxury to say that. You're part of the church. Problems and all. Warts and all. We are the church. We are the house of God. Listen to the way Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 2 using the same metaphor of a building, and coming to him as to a living stone, that is Jesus, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, plural, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Notice the plurality, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, well, that's singular, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. For those who disbelieve the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and and to this doom they were also appointed. But you, plural, singular stone, singular cornerstone, I should say, you or a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you together may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's not intended for this to be a singular trip to heaven. God saves us individually, I get that, but he saves us into community. We need each other on this community trip to heaven. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people, not the person. You are the people of God. You, you had not received mercy, but now together we have received mercy Do you see, God is building us to be a spiritual house, living stones with Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. Not a people, but now we are the people of God, sons and daughters of living God. Listen, that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't say, I love Jesus, can't stand his people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy because of the work of Christ. And so, he finishes verse 6 with, Yet another encouragement and a warning all rolled into one. We are this spiritual house God is building called the church if, that's an ominous word, if we hold fast our confidence in Christ, that is his finished work and the boast of our hope, again, not in ourselves but in Jesus, if we hold fast our confidence and boast of our hope firm until the end. 
Here's the question, but what if we don't? This, frankly, and other passages in Hebrews are quite challenging. The implication seems to be that if we do not hold fast our confession, that we can be unsaved. That that, that we can be saved, children of God, brothers and sisters, but then we can lose our salvation, our confidence, and our hope if we do not hold firm to the end. That may cause lots of challenges for you. May may cause you to wonder, well, I, I walked faithfully with Christ for a while, but then I didn't. Am I not? For lots of reasons, I do not believe a person can lose their eternal salvation. But I will not water down this text. Remember to whom the author was writing, Jewish believers who were facing difficulties for being Christians, and they were considering quitting and returning to Judaism. And the author is writing and says, don't do it, please, please don't do it. There is no salvation to be found there. Salvation is only to be found in Jesus and His work on the cross. Do not go back to your old way of life. Do not, do, do, do not get fed up with the church and say, I'm done with the church, still going to hold on to Jesus, but I'm, don't do it. You, you, can't, you can't walk away. Don't quit. Persevere in the midst of the challenges and difficulties of life. Hold on to Christ, firm to the end. Remain faithful, just like Moses was in the midst of great difficulty, just like, frankly, Billy Graham was. Remain faithful. Don't give up your faith. And I believe that you have everything that you need through the indwelling and empowering Spirit of God to remain faithful. You see, look closely at what the author actually says whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm to the end. But what happens if we do not hold fast? What happens if we quit and return to our old way of life? Again, look closely. Whose house we are if we hold fast? And if we do not hold fast, then we are not His house. We are not His people. We are not part of the church. Ours was simply an empty profession of faith. Ours was the seed of the gospel that fell among the rocky places that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 13. And when affliction and persecutions arose because of of the word, because there was no real root, no real life, they fall away. They are not not because they were not part of the house. There is a corollary, you see. To be part of the house is to persevere to the end. And your persevering to the end proves that you are part of the house. And so I say to you, without watering down the text, do not quit. Prove the reality of your faith by persevering to the end. John says it this way in 1 John chapter 2, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. But you, (laughs) I love this part, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And then he uses a little southern, and you all know. Again, I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, you have what it takes to persevere in the midst of the oppositions and persecutions and challenges and trials of life. So when they come, and they will come, and maybe you're in the midst of it right now, and you're asking yourself the question, is it worth it? I want to say to you, it's worth it. Hold on to Christ. Strengthen your grip. Do not let go. You have an anointing from the Holy One. You know the truth. Remain faithful to the end. Let's pray.
Father, why would we leave? This is the point that the author is making. Jesus is superior. He's superior to angels because he's God seated at your right hand. He's superior to Moses because he's your son. He's the son over the, over the house, the, the people of Israel. He's the son over the, uh, over the church. Why would we leave? And yet nowhere do you promise that life will be easy, that, that, that life will be problem-free, that we can, despite what people are telling us, that we can have prosperity and health all the days of our life. That, that is never promised in the book of Hebrews. Rather, suffering is promised. And the encouragement is to remain faithful because we have a great high priest who will walk with us. And so, Father, in the midst of whatever challenges we are facing right now, I pray for my brothers and my sisters, all of us together, a heavenly calling, partakers of, would you help us to remain faithful, firm to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.